let's take it from verse 1. Uh, you can all read that for me, please. And let everybody find it. Let's read one, two, three. Okay, not everybody's reading. I said everybody must read. Yes, read again. Yeah. Okay, let, read verse 1 again. Read verse 1 again. Okay. And you have? Verse 4. Read that one again. Suppose you, you don't believe in God. Suppose you don't believe that there is a God or there is a heaven or there is an, uh, a hell. Right? Suppose that you don't believe in, in all these things. Tell me, how then do you account for the sun that rises every single day and sets every single day without any physical stewarding or the moon and the stars that know when to shine. No one has ever seen stars in daylight, have they? So how do they know when they should appear? Or how do you compensate for all these mountains 
that exist. And the ocean, which no man can tame, where do they come from? Where do all these things come from? If, if there's no God, if, if heaven, if the realm of the spirit does not exist, where do all these things come from? And how do inanimate objects function without a perceivable intelligence? How do sunflowers know to face toward the rising of the sun? How do they know? Who tells them? To array themselves in such a way that they, they always face the sun. And when the sun rises, they rise to greet it. If there's no God. How, how do you explain, how do you explain the feeling of guilt after you have done something wrong? If there's nothing beyond your, your physicality. If there's nothing outside your, your physical awareness, how do you explain the feeling of guilt when you have wronged? And how do you know you have wronged if there's no God? So how do you justify your, your sense of morality. If there's no God, how do you justify it? All these things tell us something about life that we really must anchor within our hearts is the fact that God has left nature to testify of his reality. There's so much about God in nature that only a fool can deny. Only a fool can resist. Why am I saying this? Why am I saying this? I'm saying this because we Christians have a Lord that we cannot see. We have a master that we cannot see. We have a ruler that we cannot see. And if we are not careful, we would mistake his invisibility for his absence. We would mistake his invisibility for his non-existence. The fact that we cannot see God, the fact that God is not perceivable through the human senses is not an excuse for living life unaccountable. When you ask the atheist, 
Do you believe in God? They'll tell you, no. And then you ask them, do you have a mind? They will be very skeptical to answer that question. Because they don't believe that we have a mind. They believe we have a brain that computes electrical impulses, but not a mind. Because having a mind denotes that you have a consciousness which is independent from the physical anatomy of the human being. And they don't want to admit that. And then they say, no, we don't have a mind. And you ask them, how, how do you know that? They say, I'm aware. But where does that awareness come from? Where does that awareness come from? Because the fact that we have a mind means that there is an intelligence that is superior. Because if you have a mind, you can choose when to wake up, when to sleep. You can choose when to go to work, when to go to school, when to study, when to read. And that would mean that there is nothing that happens of itself. That anything and everything that happens, happens because there was a cause. And if they can agree with that, they have to agree with the superior intelligence that is involved in the creation of all these things. Because all this thing cannot be an accident. The ocean cannot reach the shore and then turn back. The sun does not stop halfway and say, I'm tired, I'm turning back. One day, all will realize that Christians were right after all. Even though, even though they lived their lives like it was not true. And this is, this is the, the, the challenge of the end times. The challenge that the end time church has is to reconcile within their spirits, within their consciousness, not only, not only the rulership, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, but really his existence. Because you cannot appreciate his sovereignty. You cannot appreciate his mastership if you do not recognize his existence. And one of the things that has to be ingrained within each and every consciousness within Christendom is the existence of Jesus Christ. His existence, his existence currently as he is, not as he was, not as he was, as he is. Because there's a difference between believing that Jesus existed Jesus walked the earth and Jesus being. Because if Jesus still is, that means Jesus has broken every human law, every natural law, every physical law that exists. And by definition, should be the oldest human being, the is. And if 
that's the case, if that's the reason, then he is everything he said that he was. That's why the existence of Jesus Christ is so important. The imprint of his existence. His con your consciousness of, of his presence. Your consciousness of his person. Never mind his rulership. Never mind his authority, his lordship over you. Never mind that. If, if you have not settled in your heart the reality of his existence currently, it will be difficult for you to submit under him. It will be difficult. So what he does is that he gives us his spirit. But the challenge that the spirit has is, is the challenge of, of, of winning over our will. Because without our will, the spirit of God really can't do anything. So even with the guarantee, the down payment, the deposit of the spirit, the church still has a challenge. Because really the, the reality of Jesus cannot be conveyed to a person without the spirit of God. So the challenge the spirit has is getting through. And here I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about the, 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 the individual aspect of Christianity. I'm talking about the corporate, the body aspect of Christianity. And how does he, when we still don't know or understand who the Holy Spirit is? So the church, the modern day church, has, has to grapple, contend for the establishment of the existence, the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at yourself. Right? Just, just watch yourself from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. Throughout all these hours, how conscious are you of Jesus? Be honest. It's not as much as you should be. Let's be honest. He's not at the top of your head. He's not at the top of your consciousness. Especially when you got things going on in your life. Especially when there are things going on in your life. Jesus is, is a distant memory. Today we are in church. Every one of us can all say, no, we are aware of Jesus. Every one of us can say that. We are aware of Jesus. We love Jesus. But I'm talking about from the time you wake up to the time you go to sleep. What is the barometer of consciousness that you have for Jesus? That, that's the challenge of the modern day church. 
listen. If you can't have or you can't retain consciousness of Jesus, how do how how does he begin to exercise his lordship, his dominion through you and over your life? That is, that is a big challenge in the body of Christ. When it, when, when, when it really comes to Jesus, you are absent-minded. That's why you feel more spiritual after praying than in any time of the day. Because your consciousness, your consciousness is not where it should be all the time. After you pray, you feel like, yeah, I can climb mountains. As if Jesus, Jesus is, is only real when you pray. As if he's only present when you are praying or engaging in some form of spiritual activity. It's a major challenge in the modern day church. It's a major challenge. Because that thing is the reason why there's no fear. There's no fear for God. There's no fear for God. And, and that is really the, the, the number one indicator of, of the depravity of the modern day church. The depravity of the modern day church. I ask the question, if you decide tomorrow that you don't believe in God anymore, what then do you make of the sun still rising after you decided not to believe in God anymore? How are you going to justify that? Our beliefs or non-beliefs does not change who God is. And does not change how God works. It does not change it. Whether you cry or whine, it does not change it. That's why there's no fear. There's no fear. Because Jesus is not real to you. He's not real to you. No, you can say, but he is. Do you feel God? Do you know that is, that is, the, that is, that is the, the number one indicator of the true workings of God? To fear God. To, fe to fear God. Genesis. Let me show you something in Genesis. And then we'll, we'll, we'll begin discussing. 
we'll begin uh, discussing the revelations tool. Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. Now Joseph, verse 1, had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down from him. And the Lord, the Lord, was with Joseph. And he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And he, his master saw that the Lord was with him. And the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. His master saw it. So, Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer over his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from time to time that from, that from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Jacob's sake, for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hands and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Imagine. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass that after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. She said, lie. Listen to Joseph. Here you have, you have insight into the thinkings, the consciousness of this man. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I. He was aware of his position. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? Against who? Against God. Against God. He was aware that it was God that made him who he was, that blessed him the way he did. He was aware. He was a? And what stopped him was the fact that he was afraid. 
he was afraid of God. How can you be afraid of someone you're not sure that is there? The fact that there's the fear of God is, is in the church of Jesus Christ is at the level at which it is at is proof that we're really not sure about this God. We're really not sure about this God. Do, do you know what, what it means to fear God? Do you know what it means to fear God? tough to fear something you can't see. It's not tough. You grew up fearing ghosts you've never seen. <laughs> you grew up fearing things you've never seen. So it's not tough. And some of those things really were imaginary. They were non-existent. The disciples thought they had seen a ghost. Who had ever seen a ghost? For fear. But this is God. You don't need to imagine him. You don't need to know him. But the fact that he's God. If you heard that there was, there was Hitler running around. Let me not even talk about Hitler. This gangster. Are you afraid of this gangster? This boy, uh, yes. The mention of his name would get people rattled. If they said he's in the same taxi with you, would you be as comfortable as you are in the taxi? <laughs> but you don't know him. You might never have seen him. But you heard that he did this, 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 this. Now God has a trail of, of actions, of acts that he has done. Can I read you something? Let's, let's, read, let's read Jude. Jude chapter 1. I want to show you something. There's no fear. People don't fear God. And you're probably, you're probably guilty of that too. Do you know who God is? Go ask Job who God is. Go ask Job. God don't care. God, he's God. He does not need to care. God does not need to care about you. You are, you are his subject. He can decide tomorrow that you don't exist. You will never exist. Nobody will have any remembrance of who you are. He's God. Go ask Job who God is. How he thought he could blame God for losing his children, losing his wealth, losing all this. God didn't care. God didn't, he didn't care. He didn't care. Why? He's God. 
He does not need to care. He does not owe you anything. God does not owe you a thanks. He does not owe you. He does. He, <laughs> we really haven't been taught on who God is. Do you know his vastness, his greatness? No, sometimes we sing how great you are. We, we don't know. We're singing, but we have no, no concept of the greatness of God. Because we see him through the eyes of Jesus. Let's go there. What did I say? Jude. I want to show you something. We don't fear God. And you are in a dangerous place if you don't fear God. That means you are capable of anything. At that point, there is nothing you can... You see, what, 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 keeps, what keeps us in check is the fear of God. Once you lose that, there's, there's nothing you can't do. There is nothing you can't do. Say, no, there are, there are things I'll never do. Trust me. The anchor of the human soul is in the fear of God. The anchor of the human soul is in the fear of God. Did God not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Did he destroy it? Yeah? Yes. He did. Yes. He, he did. Yes. Okay. Let's read Jude. Let's read Jude. Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1. Jude chapter 1. With them? Verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of Egypt, afterward destroys those who did not believe. What did he do to them? You see what the problem has been made is the fact that we, we, we thought God changed who he is after Jesus died. We thought, no, after Jesus died, God has a different attitude than what he had in his dealings with the Old Testament church. You need to understand what the death of Jesus Christ is about. You need to understand what the death of Jesus Christ is about. The death of Jesus Christ is not about, is not about God being more patient with sins and sinning. It's not about that. It's not about God excusing sin. I mean, for goodness sake, a man died for that thing. 
A man died. So really, the death of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with changing who God is. But it has everything to do with changing who man is. In the eyes of God. And once you realize that nothing changed about who God is, God is still the same God. Before and after Jesus dies. The reason why Jesus dies is to appease the, 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 the craving of God for justice because of his nature. Without that blood, you don't know who, you don't, there would be no earth today. There would be no, there would be no earth, there would be no people, there would be no world today. How many times did God destroy and intend to destroy men? How many times did he destroy entire nations? What entire nations of the face of the earth? Read the Bible. Because that's who God is. And the only reason why God has not destroyed the earth because of its filth is because of that sacrifice. But the blood of Jesus will not cover people forever. It will not cover people. It will not cover you forever. The Bible talks about the, Bible talks about the, uh, the time until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. If the blood of Jesus was a forever thing, why, why, can't, why can't people after tribulation, tribulation, in between tribulation, be forgiven of their sins? Why can't the great and the small who are, who are running to the mountains to fall on them say, oh, let the blood save me? Because there is a time that will come where none of those things will work. Jude. Then he says, he says, but but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar Manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example. They are set forth as what? Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, how does one now think that uh, sodomy is an acceptable practice? How? When God has given you an example that this is what happens to people who practice such. This is what happened to people who don't believe. 
This is what happens to angels that leave their estate, that people that leave their positions, that God, this is what happened. It's an example. He said they will suffer the vengeful or the vengeance of eternal fire. God doesn't care whether it is a sickness or not. God doesn't care whether it is a matter of unbelief or not. God doesn't care whether you were pressured to move out of a role that you were given. He doesn't care about all of that. There's an example. There's a pattern. And you know what happens with God? You know what happens with God? Yeah? You know why God lets, 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 seems like he is letting sin slide? You know why? Do you know why? Because he waits for fulfillment. He waits for the cup to be full. Once the cup is full, think about how many people are in hell regretting now. How many people are in hellfire regretting now? And hellfire is a waiting place, mate. Where they are going is the lake of fire. They, they, they'll be in a lake burning. Bible says where they are warm, they are warm. They are warm does not die. Where they are warm does not die. So all these things that happen, the Bible says they are for us to learn, to learn the fear of God. To learn to fear God. Not respect. Not respect. You see, you can respect me and not fear me. You can respect me and think no. You know, because, no, no. After a while, think no, no, no. No, it does, it's not talking about respect. It's talking about terror. It's talking about terror. You know, when you think about someone you're afraid of, terror. The Bible says it is, a, it, is a, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of God. The, the fear or the lack of fear in the modern day church is a serious challenge that must be overcome. At work, there are certain things you can't do. There's, there's, there are just certain things. They, they, they've got policies, they've got standards, they've got things that, that you sign to, to commit to, obey, to commit to, adhere to. And if you break them, you'll face consequences. You know, the church of Jesus Christ is the only place where consequences are not expected for people's actions. That anybody can do anything and everybody must be fine with it. And if you dare touch on it, dare speak on it, dare address it, then you are judging. Because that's how people, 
That's how people excuse themselves from the sinful life or the ill or wicked activity that they are participating in. That if you dare try to address it, no, you are judging. God says don't judge. Because we don't know. We don't, we, 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 we don't know where we're at. We don't know because we don't know where we're at. Earth life, our time here on earth, is, is a fraction, is a fraction to the time you will live beyond this place. Listen, whether you believe on it, you know there are people who are like, I don't know if there's an afterlife. Hell, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, you know, for all, for, all, for all we care, you can say I don't believe that there's, 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 uh, there's Fiji. There's such a thing as Fiji. It don't matter. Currently, now there are people in Fiji living, whether you believe in it or not. So don't be fooled by the fact that you think that it's, it's a status, you know, your, your belief in, in the non-existence of afterlife will exempt you from that life. On what, listen, the question is on what terms you're going there. And that life, the Bible says, is never ending. Why, why do people hate the Bible so much? Because it's truth. The Bible says those who sit in the dark, says they, the reason why they are in, a, in the darkness is because they hate the light. Yeah, I don't believe in this Bible things. It's fine. No, nobody, nobody is forcing you to do anything. But one day, what Allah, all of them, Buddha, all these guys, Confucius, they are there now. They, now they are there now. They wish they could send somebody to tell their followers, please, don't, don't, don't follow me. <laughs> Buddha is there now. The man of peace is there now. Because there, Buddha is not governing that realm. Confucius is not governing that realm. In that realm, he is governed. The Bible calls him the God of gods. So it don't matter who, he, he, he doesn't even deny these other gods. But, but as far as he's concerned, there's no other God in his caliber. And this is where Satan thought he was smart. If I can create many gods and give people many options, they might miss this one God. Yesterday, I met someone. I was helping uh, um, Boma Buzamu. So, there was this old, old 
old acquaintance that I met, uh, I, I ran into. So, so we ran into, we, we spoke, hey, how are you? Also? You know, somebody you haven't seen in a long time, so you're happy to see them. Fine, we talk, you know, get a feel of where the person is in life, things like that. Uh, fine, because when, when we had, you know, gone our separate ways, he had gone astray, right? Went back into all this drinking and stuff, so apparently he says he's back. So fine, we do whatever we do, we help them move in and we go. Having good conversations, not conversations. So he's telling me that, no, he's back in pastoring, doing this, doing that. Know, that's awesome, man, that's awesome. Support you, be there, fine, yeah. And then, man, while we're standing, we're talking, I, I hear a smell. So at first I'm thinking, now nah, maybe just, you know, folks around, things around. And then we continue talking. And then I can see, no, that there's, there's alcohol smell coming from this guy here. So my initial, my initial uh, intention was to confront him, right? Was to, you, I thought you said you are a pastor. So I held it in. After that, I pretended. All this time I was fine until that scene. I pretended. After that, I was like, yeah. I said, tomorrow, no, let's go. Asked for my number, yes, text me, texted me. When I left there, I said, I'll never speak to you. You'll never see me again. You'll never talk to me again. You will never, you will never have this conversation with me again. Never. You are a pastor. And you reek of alcohol. You reek. You say you are a pastor. You reek of alcohol. So if now I become your friend, what's going to happen to me? I'm probably going to think what you're doing is right. So now I cannot lay aside my values, my standards, because there is, there is a reunion on, in the works. To hell with the reunion if there's no change. Now questions. Pastor, you're judging. No, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. I'm not judging. Because he can continue doing what he's doing. But just not around me. <laughs> just not around me. Because I believe you can't call yourself a pastor and be a man of the bottle. You can't say you're a pastor and stink. <clears throat> Stink alcohol, stink alcohol, smell alcohol. If you can do that, what can you not do? Listen, if, 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 if you say you are a pastor and you have no convictions about taking a glass of wine or bottle of beer and, and downing it, what is there that you cannot do? That means you can fornicate. That means you can cheat, you can lie. You know what Paul says? Let not these things even be named among you. Named among. What's the, what, what difference do you have?
to somebody sitting there Sunday or sitting, those guys there out there sitting and drinking. At least what they're doing, they're doing it proud. They're not, they're not faced by anybody. They're not hiding. They're doing it. So why do you want to do it under the cloak of a title, Christian, church? It don't work. Life don't work that way. Life don't work, especially life in God, it don't work, that, it don't function that way. The Bible says flesh and blood cannot, that means that God cannot make, cannot make a, 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 an exception. God cannot make an exception for you. The law is that flesh and blood. Let me read it to you. Do you know what God cares about more than anything? Do you know what God cares about more than anything? More than you? More than you? Do you know what God cares about? His own reputation. He, he cares about his own reputation more than he does you. His name matters to God. His name matters to him. So that means... That anything that threatens the integrity of his name, he will deal harshly with. Didn't the Bible say David was a man after God's own heart? When he sinned, did God excuse him? God messed him up. After God sinned with Bathsheba, you know what God said to David? He said, your own son shall sleep with your wives for all to see. Absalom slept with David's wife on top of the, on top of the palace. He made a mockery of him. Why? Why, why did God do that? The Bible says because he had, he had made occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme his name. We must fear God. Beyond respect, we must be afraid of him. The things that he had done in the past, those, those things are, are testimonies, are testaments, are, are testimonies, are records of him, him or, or, or us fearing him. Uh, I said I want to read you something. Eh? What? Oh, First John. Uh -uh. First, First Corinthians. Praise the Lord. Flesh and blood. Chapter 15, verse 50. 
chapter 15, verse 15. Now, this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. You see that? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. That means a life of the flesh is not acceptable in the kingdom. That kind of life cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That means living according to the flesh disqualifies you from all the blessings, provisions, possibilities that the kingdom of God can afford you. Because it's a life in the flesh. It's a life in the flesh. So what, 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 what does Revelation chapter 1 say? It says, I have this against you. It, it, you are in a dangerous place. If God has something against you, you, you are in a dangerous place. Let's go to Revelations. Let's, let's, let's go investigate uh, several things there. Verse 2, chapter 2, no? Yes. Let's read it. So all, all these good things, commendable things that this church was doing was overshadowed by one thing that they were not doing. Jesus said, I know your works. I know you. We, you do this, you do this, you do this, you have this in your favor, this, 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 this. Until he says, nevertheless. Let's read that part. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Yeah. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Or else. Or one thing that they were not doing became an ultimatum. He says, or else. I will what? Come to me quickly. What? Quickly. What? Quickly. And do what? And remove your lampstand from its place. Why, why, why did he say, what is he saying when he says, remove your lampstand from its place? Read verse 1. He said he walks, he's in the midst of the golden lampstands. So they, 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 they were at risk of being removed from the presence of Jesus. 
at risk of being disowned by Jesus. He says, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Repent is not asking for forgiveness. <laughs> What's the use of asking for forgiveness for something that you are still going to do? So Jesus didn't say, ask for forgiveness. Because they were probably going to say, I am sorry. Jesus said, unless you what? Repent. You know what to repent? Is to turn. Is to change. So he's more interested, he was more interested in that situation, in them repenting, than in them saying, I'm That's the challenge of the modern day church. Because we think that our sorries are excuses or, or are, are, are validations or justifications for repentance. Here's a question. If you take, if you take, um, if you take a phone, right? Smash it on the floor and it cracks, Right? And then you look at the phone and say, sorry. Well, will the phone go back to how it was before you crushed it? So sorry is nothing. Do you see that? Sorry is nothing. What, what's important is repentance. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of, here, the, of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't say ask for forgiveness. He said repent. He says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He didn't say ask for forgiveness. Now does that mean God will not forgive you? No. It's not about a matter of a question of God will not forgive you or, or will forgive you. God, God has already forgiven you. But here's the question we ask ourselves studying this. Did Jesus speak these things before or after his, his resurrection? We thought the blood of Jesus covers everything. <coughs> did, 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 didn't we think the blood of Jesus covers everything? Isn't the blood of Jesus co cover this? It's a weakness. Pastor, it's a weakness, Jesus. Did, did Jesus see it that way? See, what we think doesn't matter. When it comes to God, when it, when it comes to God, what we think doesn't matter. Because you can read that and think, but I think Jesus is here. First love. At least, at least, at least they are still his second. He's still their second love. Yeah, at least love is in the mix. I mean, they are persevering. They are persevering. They are testing apostles. They discernment them. These guys have patience. They labor for his name's sake. They're printing out books. Going out on evangelism. They're doing all the right things. Jesus is looking at them. He says, when I'm coming. And you are thinking the Lord is coming to bless. 
What is he coming for? He's telling a church. He's telling a church. Just pull it, pull it. Don't be afraid, pull it. He's telling a He says, I have this against you. Tell me, what kind of a leader would I be if I don't address sin? If I don't address wrongdoing? If I don't address wickedness? What, look, what kind of a leader would I be? I'd be Jacob Zuma or Ramaphosa. <laughs> and I sure as hell am not one of those. I'm a leader, not, not a comrade. I'm not a colleague. I'm not your colleague, I'm your leader. And who am I answerable to? I'm answerable to the one who just gave this church a threat. So imagine as a leader, I'm reading this, I'm, I'm like, okay, I do this, I do this, okay, but there's this in my church, and I'm fine with it. And I just heard him say that he'll remove its lamp, its lampstand from its place. That means that place before Jesus will cease to exist. Before I cease to exist before Jesus, you will cease to exist before me. Before I exist before Jesus, you, you will cease to exist before me. You, you rather chop off diseased branches before they contaminate the whole tree. When, ne? When, go fridging your house. How, how, are you regard the apple? Go ahead, me, but regard the apple. How on an apple, one, it would be the ball. While to a lorna, it's just one apple. Yeah? While to a? While see how the regage, get the credit parts there, it would be. There's no cure for rot. For rot, there's no cure. You can't, you can't cure a rotten apple. You can't cure it. How are you going to cure it? How are you going to cure it? How? How are you going to cure rot? If you're a rotten apple, how, you, how would you be cured? If you leave that thing, what's going to happen? Or oh, grapes. Have you ever seen grapes? One, just one. Start to mold. What will happen to the rest? Why? Why? See, you see where our, how our lives have been messed up? Where our lives have been messed up? is because we have thought that poison will be good. We, 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 we fooled ourselves that, you know, keep poison, but it'll change. It becomes more deadly after expiring date. And this is a challenge. It's to the angel. So he was, he was talking to who? He was, not talking to, he was talking to everybody, but he was talking to everybody via the angel. 
Till that angel is responsible for the church. The challenge of first love. He says, he says you have left. That's what Jesus said. He said you have left. You have, you have left your first love. You have left. Then, is, then he, he, he akins he the living of first love to falling. He says remember therefore from where you have fallen. So that means whatever they were doing, being patient for Jesus, being laborers in Jesus, discernment, and they were doing it in a fallen state. So that's why it didn't matter. That's why their perseverance, their patience, their laboring for his namesake, the testing of the apostles didn't matter. Why? Because they were doing it in a fallen state. Because to Jesus, anything done without love is nothing done. A billion times zero is still zero. Doesn't matter how many billions, doesn't matter the number of numbers, a, a billion times zero, you will get zero. So that means everything without love for Jesus is nothing. That means that, thing, that, that offering you gave can't save you. That 45 hours in prayer can't save you. That 20 hours of meditation can't save you. That 31 day of prayer can't save you. That 40 days of, of glory in the world can't save you. It can't save you. Because he, he, his equation is that if you're going to do anything, love must be present in order for it to have eternal value to me. Says these three remain. These three remain: faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. So if I if I pray and I don't love God, my prayers to Him have no weight. They have no value. It, it, it's just as well as you're not doing it. So He said, "Remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you have fallen." So He was telling them to trace. The point at which they stopped loving him. He stopped becoming their priority. He stopped becoming their passion, their pursuit, their first love. They have fallen. And how many churches are there today that have fallen? They come to church, they sing their worship songs. The preacher preaches a message. They do whatever church activity they do, but they have fallen. They have fallen. Jesus has, has lost their priority in their hearts. Jesus has lost his place in their hearts. They have fallen. You can fool everybody, but you can't fool Jesus. You can't fool Jesus. And he says, remember therefore from where we have fallen or else, or else I will come to you quickly and remove you. Remove you from my presence. I will remove you from my presence. I mean, first love is so important for Jesus. First love is, then he said, do the first works. Which works? What is first works? First works are the first works of love. Those works they did for him in love. When they prayed because they wanted to spend time with him. When they went to church because they were hungry to know about him. Now, going to church is just a routine. I'm just, I'm just, let's go see what they have for us. 
Let's go see. Horori. Horobolelagan nana. Haroutu horori ganna today. You have made yourself so special. So special that you think that everything that will come out of the party will be about you. His oils shall come. That means Jesus will not leave unloving churches, churches without first life. He will not leave them alone. You know what causes church split? Is this thing. When you hear about a church split, is this thing. There's no first love for Jesus. It's about egos. It's about fight for position. There's no first love. The, the only end of that church is removal. Jesus will remove it. He will scatter it. You know what the Bible says? Get, strike the sheep, the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. Because this is a, is a spiritual institution. It's not a physical institution. It's a spiritual institution first. And as much as you come here for your needs to be catered for, there's also another side. Where the needs of Jesus must be catered for by you. And one of the needs of Jesus is first love. Anything that does not have first love. Jesus said, it has fallen. Many of you are sitting here, you are falling. You are falling. You just don't know it yet. You have fallen. But I pray, Pastor. <laughs> the indicator. You know what the Bible says? You know what the, let, let, let's look, let's let's read Jude. Let's, let's look at Jude chapter chapter 20, 20, 20 to 21. Jude chapter 1, 20 to 
because with death, you cannot change it. With death, you cannot correct your errors. It's over. Do you know what the Bible says? You know what the Bible says? Yeah? You know what the Bible says? He that denies, rejects, undermines, cast away the word of God shall be destroyed. He shall come to ruins. He shall come to ruins. You see, the word of God is 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 is, is a twofold sword. When it comes, it comes, it comes with blessing. But on the other side, it comes with curses. Always. It comes, it comes with promotion. But on the other side, it comes with degradation. Always. And that's why it's a terrible, a dangerous thing for men to handle the word of God, to, to peddle the word of God. Because it is the only thing that can help you. Without death, there's, not even your mother and your father can help you. Not even your lover, your wife, your husband can help you. To go against the word of God is to kill your own self. You know what Proverbs 8 says? It says, those who hate me love death. Those who hate me, they love death. They love it. Those who hate wisdom, the word, they love death. And here's Jesus. He says, you have left your first love. Their, what is their repentance? Their repentance is to do what? Is to change, configure the way they do things. See, there's gonna, there will come a time in your life. There will come a time in your life. Where sorries will not matter. Where praying will not matter. Where offering will not matter. You don't want your life to get to that point. Because once it gets to that point, that means Jesus is done with you. He is done with you. Now, many people don't know a side of that. Many people look, you hear me now, say, no, Marapasa, no, I don't think so. Jesus is ever loving. You don't know him. You don't know him. And Motuari, Jesus is ever loving. Otuere, otuere skala, otuere, otuere paipi, otuere banda babai faifi. No, Jesus is love. Tell me, how do you know about cleanness if all you, you've been engaged in is dirt. How, 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 then, how then can you, can you qualify to make an opinion on purity? It says, repent or else. Or 
Christianity. Christianity. The Bible is called the way. The Bible calls it the way. The way. It, it would be better for a person not to be a Christian than for them to be a Christian and then turn their minds. Okay. Let me read this something. Okay. Um, Matthew. Let me read you something. Because <laughs> you, 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 you think you think that you are the best there is in life. You are the best. Okay. Chapter 11, Matthew. Think you are the best in life. Chapter 11, verse 20. Can we read? Then he began to do what? The cities in which most of his mighty works had Because what did he do? He, he, he rebuked the cities. The cities in which he had done mighty works. Ne? Ne? And then look at the judgment reserved for those cities. Let's read. So Jesus is saying that the works that are done in those cities are enough to cause repentance. They, 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 they are so, they are so uh, 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 adequate that if these works were done in cities like Tyre like, and Sidon, they would have repented. So he's telling, he's telling these people that one of the reasons why these cities were destroyed was because works like this had not been done. But now that you have these works done in you and you do not repent, he says you are cursed. He says you are cursed. It's like a Christian having been healed by God, saved by God, having God, God blessed his life financially and then turned away from God. When you meet him, the sinner will have a much lenient judgment than you. Someone said to me, Pastor, why don't you uh, go, go, you know, help people that, I said, help. <coughs> help. Yeah, show them God's ways. Help. Listen, you are dead, you are dead poor. No qualification. Didn't finish school. God has grace on you and he gives you a job. You can pay your rent. You can buy food. You can buy clothes. And then you forget God. Who must remind you? That job should remind you. The fact that you don't have any... You didn't finish school. You didn't finish school. Who? That should be a reminder in and of itself. That this thing I don't deserve. But I have the ability to feed my family. I have the ability to pay my bills. It can only be God. 
How, how stupid can people be? And then I must come and say, remember, God blessed you. Hell no. Hell no, life will teach you. You got a better teacher than me, it's life. It's life. The one thing in my life I dread more than anything is God turning his back on me. That's why I don't mind turning my back on anyone. Mother, father, wife, child, friends, if it means keeping Christ. Because I know that, that life, that life after this body has been removed, that life is forever. And I want to live it as close as possible I can to Jesus. Even if it's 10 streets away, at least I'm closer than someone who's a thousand streets away. And I will fight to be in the 10th street. My whole life is like that. My, 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 that's, how, that's how my mind is engineered. Jesus is first. Jesus is, Jesus is first. Every decision I make for my life is connected to, to Jesus' pleasure of me. I don't, I don't care what people think about me. I, I, I don't care. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care. What you think about me is your own opinion of, of, of it's your own opinion about me. I don't care. It's your own. Now I can't get in your mind, try and change your opinion of me. The only person's mind I will get into to change the opinion of me is Jesus, not you. Not you. I mean, you can't do nothing for me. What can you do for me? What can you do for me? What can you do for me? So don't think that the thought that you have of me is important to me. It's not. That, that's how that's how that's how I've navigated my life throughout these 13 years. That's why I have I have been able, that's how I've been able to 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 uh, what you call to to be saved from many pitfalls. That's that's how. That's how I've been able to 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 avoid many pitfalls in my life. I look at him. He's my only role model in life. He saved me. What else do you want? And that's why I'll be loyal to him until I die. To Jesus. To Jesus. And, and my loyalty to anybody is connected to that. Jesus. Jesus. Yep, Jesus. I gave up relationship with my father for Jesus. And I'm, I'm fine with it. In my mind, there's, there's nothing like, no, Jesus. Because who, who's my father? Who's my mother? What, what's my father going to do for me? What's my mother going to do for me? If I die now, is my father going to give me a lifeline to heaven? 
Is he going to be my bridge to heaven? Does it mean I don't love my parents? I love my parents. But they're not going to get in between me and Jesus. They never died for me. My mother is still alive. My father is still alive. They never died for my sins. So my allegiance, I don't owe to them. I owe to the one that enables me to stand before God without the thought of incurring judgment, of being judged. I know I can stand before him and not feel guilty. Knowing that I can't. It's impossible, but I'm standing. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ. There's not an hour that goes by where he's not in my consciousness, where I don't talk to him. Jesus. And I'm not trying to make you feel, no, I'm not, uh, I don't care, I couldn't care less about you. I'm not trying to make a statement. No, I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you the truth. I think about Jesus more than I think about my son, more than I think about my wife, more than I think about my life, Jesus. He's that real to me. And he says, Corizan. He says, he that is forgiven much will love much. If, if you don't understand the value of being forgiven by God, then it's no wonder why you don't love him as much as you should. He says, if the mighty works were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Then he says something. Look at what he says. And to you, Capernaum, more exalted to heaven, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done on you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. That's how serious repentance is, especially after God has done mighty works in your life. Especially after God has shown his grace, has shown his hand to you. That's how repentance is. Because otherwise, judgment day, you'll come there telling yourself, yeah, I'm making it. Judgment day will come out full of surprises. What am I saying? I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm better than any of you. I'm not better than any of you. Because you're not in my comparison range. I'm not comparing myself with you. So your better is not my better. You see that? But then my my pursuit as a person, not as a pastor, as a person, is to is to ensure that I live a life that is pleasing enough to God to be acceptable in his presence forever. I could have cheated all of you if I wanted to. 
This is the challenge of the modern day church. To love Jesus unequivocally without any reservations. I love you if I love you but So what's better? For the whole body to enter into hell or for you to enter into heaven with half a body? What's better? What's better? Ask yourself, what's better? Because he says, he that overcomes this is he will eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. What's better? To look like a fool now before people and rejoice eternally or to, to have the praise of man and people and even your own praise because Baba Marona, you think too highly of yourself. Too highly of yourself. With buddhis or you're something and you're nothing. The Bible says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Some of you, you are high-minded. What is better, that? Or just living your life to please God. Irrespective of who thinks what, who says what about you. what they say about you. Who cares? God has given everybody mouths. And then he put there on that mouth free speech. So who am I to get in between God and the person's mouth? Because one day, whatever they say will come back to haunt them. Whatever they do will come back to haunt them. Not me. I'll be sleeping in bed at night. I says I will remove the lampstand from its place. From its place. You know, we live in a time where many Many people are dying younger, especially demographics like ours. They're dying younger, younger and younger and younger. And, and you ask yourself, why is that so? Does it have to do with the rise of wickedness and sin and lasciviousness? Or it's just accidental? What happened in Genesis chapter 6? What did God do? Cut short the number of years. He cut. And, and, and listen, following God does not mean that you don't live life. That does not mean that you live, you live, you know, monastically like you are monarch. No. But it just means that you have certain internal convictions, barometers, certain internalized mechanisms 
that help you live and stay on the narrow road. Remember, he says, what? Let me read you Matthew and then we close. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. time of the day, life can turn around for the worse for you. I can wake up tomorrow, I can lose everything. I can wake up tomorrow and lose everything. Lose my car, lose my hands, lose my family. Lose. I can, I can wake up tomorrow and, lo and lose everything. And the fact that you can wake up tomorrow and still not have lost everything is testament to the grace of God. Because there are people that are being evicted. There are people that are being evicted. People can't make rent. People can't pay their bills. People can't eat. Who don't have enough. The fact that I can do that is testament. And I live with that consciousness. Every day I live with that consciousness. Every day that I can, I can pay my bills, I can pay for my food, I can support my family, I can support my, my family. I look to the heavens and say, Lord, if it was not for you, I don't know. Everything I've achieved in my life, I've achieved on my own. There was no sponsor from a parent, no sponsor from on my own. And that can only be God's grace. And I know it. You see, I know it. Thing is, I don't act like I don't know it. I know it. I don't behave like I don't know it. When your parents can provide, you're going to get the job. You're going to get the job. Put the phone away if you're not using it. If I, I said, I said, he, he, some of you treat your parents like they they have to do what they are doing for you. Yeah, but this is only fatting Some of you treat your husbands like they have to provide for you. Because you, 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 what if I die tomorrow, love? Who's going to feed you? Who's going to provide for you? What if your husband dies tomorrow? What, where, how, where will you get the ability that he is using, he has been using all this time to provide for you? Where will you develop that ability? See how we take things for granted? As if it's a must that this thing must happen. Do you know life? Do, do, you, do you know life?
Matthew 17. Let's read that and let's 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 uh close service. Do, do you understand the cost of salvation? Do you understand it? The cost of salvation. You, you even, even, even if you had all the money in the world, you still could not buy your salvation. You don't even have all the money in the world. Even if you had all the money, because the cost of salvation is not, is not monetarily. That's why your father or your mother can't say because you have the same blood. You have the same blood. And that blood is not, is not, is not holy enough. couldn't save yourself. And if you understood the cost of salvation, you, you would know that there's no cost enough that is worthy that you, you wouldn't pay to retain it. To keep it. This is what Jesus says. Chapter 7. And then we'll read Luke 13 and then we'll, shut, we'll close. Chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, perdition, hell. And there are many who go in by it. There are many. There are many. There are many. There are many. Because narrow is the gate. And what? Difficult is the way which leads to life. To, you see, it's not easy to make it in life. It's not easy. And there are few who find. Let's look, look, let's read Luke chapter Luke 13, because he, he says something. Luke 13, 24. And he said to them, okay, let's, let's read uh, verse 22. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, look what this guy asked him. Lord, are there few who are saved? And the Lord said, strive to enter. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do what? The word is agonozinomai. It means, it means, it means to labor. It means to labor. It means to sweat. It means to agonize. That means the, 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 the path into the narrow life is, is an agony. 
the life of agony. The Bible says you have not yet resisted sin unto bloodshed. Imagine Jesus resisted to sin. That means it, the pressure to sin was so much. You have not, you have not even yet so done. You can sin at any. That's how weak we are. And, 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 and the Bible says, the Bible says, strive. Strive to enter through the narrow road. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. They will seek, they will try, they will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door. I know many of you have never read the scripture. I know many of you here, you have never read the scripture. He says, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. He will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught us in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves are thrust out. And you, you, you hear, you hear Jesus say that to you, that you thrust out. Is agonize. Ago. Agonize. 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 Here's what you ask yourself. What would you do to protect your children from harm? That answer will tell you what you will do and would be willing to do to save yourself from destruction. One day, you will die. One day, you will die. When somebody dies, nobody expects them again. How many of you have lost your loved ones that you did not expect would die, but they died? One day, it will be you that's on the other side. And one day, you'll be going up to meet him. And one day, if you are disappointed, if you are disappointed that day, that disappointment is forever. You'll be disappointed forever. And we cannot even quantify, we cannot even, we cannot even grasp the extent of eternity. Because we are humans and our minds are finite. But the promise of life eternal is already given us in Christ. In fact, it's not even a promise, it's a reality once you receive Christ. But the, the experience of that life beyond time and space 
guarantee. And he said, strive to enter through the narrow road. Strive. Strive. That means it's not a walk in the park this day. It's not a walk in the park. And everyone, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter how, how, what, what they've tasted in God, everyone is at risk. Doesn't matter how many visions they've seen, how many encounters they've had, every single one is at risk of being thrusted out. Every single one. You hear that? Every, doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter who they are. One morning, Jesus appeared to me and said, I want to show you something. And he showed me great men, men we've looked up to. And he said, look the path they have taken. Look where it will lead them. I cried. I said, I don't want to be there. I don't want. That's, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm afraid of growth and faith. Because the deception it brings is deeper than any of you can ever realize. Any of you can ever realize. And I saw men you know, men you love, men, men you post, men you quote. And places you would never have thought there would be. Judgment day. It's coming. It's coming for all of us. It's coming. I'll stand one day, not as a pastor. Enoch will stand. And God will judge me. He will weigh me on the scales of his justice. Whether I would be found wanting or the scales were balanced in my favor, I can't decide that. Just they will seek to enter. But they will not be able to. The challenge of first love, the challenge complete resolute fear for God. I don't fear anyone. I don't fear any man. I respect people, but there's no one I fear. But Jesus, hmm, hmm, Jesus, Jesus, He's my only lifeline. He's my only ticket to eternal life. More than respect him, I fear him. Do I, do I always fear him? I don't always fear him. Have I perfected my fear for him? No, I haven't. But do I fear him? Oh. That's the challenge, the first challenge we are faced with. And that challenge is, is, really, is really the highest challenge for the church of Jesus Christ. Is to do things for him, toward him, with love and fear. Hallelujah. It's all right, sir.
You know, the Bible tells us that we must overcome. We must overcome. If there's any hope of us being rewarded, we must overcome. We must overcome the temptation not to love Jesus, to serve him, to follow him, to take on his title and not love him. We must resist the temptation to live life without the consciousness, not only of his lordship, but his existence. And we must resist the temptation not to fear him. Not to fear him. And you see, he, he has given us, he has, he, has, he has given us structures in life to be